Talgo of Foudrin, Chapter 14, A Council of Kings. The army of Framir assembled outside the city's southern gate. The banners waved gently in the sky, and many looking upon them wondered if the wind was really coming from a young boy atop the great volcano Jadir. Words had spread of the death of the wizards and the creation of the Jura, and the topic was on the tongue of every citizen. Many dismissed the news as a vicious rumour, but when the carts containing the bodies of the five wizards made its sad way through Framir and into King Madron's castle, it was followed by hundreds of mourners laying flowers and openly weeping for the magic folk. Framir's army was well trained, but in its history had never been involved in open warfare. The recent tension with Majira had unsettled many people within the city, not least the king himself. Whisperings of war were met with trepidation. Majira was a larger city with a larger army, one with more experience and a ruthless king who many thoughts would not give a second thought to the great human cost of warfare. King Maron rode his steeds to the front of his army with cards and halir. He wore his long green robe which floated behind him as he rode. Before leaving, he had kissed his wife and promised his two sons to come back to them at peace with King Eldir. His sons were old enough to fight now and had indeed offered their own swords. My dear boys, Maron had responded, if we all fell in battle, who would look after your mother? Now, as the king stopped his horse in front of his army, he felt a sense of apprehension. Men of Freymere, today we ride from Ajira not to seek war, but counsel. Many of you will have heard of the deaths of the wizards and of the Jura they have left behind. We seek to work with King Eldir to capture these powers, not for greeds, but out of necessity. The Jura are dangerous and must be under the control of people with responsibility, not a young boy. I know not what the road ahead will hold for us, but we must be prepared to fight. Let us march. Majira lay but a two days' march from Framir. Madorn spent the entire journey in deep conversation with Card and Halir. A foreboding sense was in the air among them. Halir was concerned that Majira would open fire against them as soon as they were within a few miles of the city. Altir will not take kindly to the army of Framir marching upon his city, banners flying, he said. He may see it as a declaration of war. Yes, Maron said. Of course, we will leave the army clear of the site of Majira. The three of us shall ride on ahead and request the king's company. We must remember that the eyes of Majira reach further than their walls, Card warned. On the second day, as the army approached Majira, King Maron commanded his army halt and rode ahead with his advisers. It was late afternoon and the sun cast a warm orange glow on the flatlands leading to Majira. The trio rode swiftly in silence, looking out for any archers who may have orders to shoot on sight. They saw the walls of Majira rising upwards to the clouds like mountains. The city was built beside the southern sea, needing walls only on its northern, western and eastern sides. Inside the city, two more square walls were constructed, 
set up on hills which shot up further than the city's outer walls. Long ago, the people of Majira lived freely together, but King Eltir now continues the tradition started by his great-grandfather of separating the people to different classes. The richer the person, the higher in the city they lived, leaving the poorest at the bottom. If a great tide should ever come from the sea, the poorest would drown, saving the richer, more important people. It was a system that King Maron would never impose upon his people. As they drew nearer to Majira, Madorn spotted two riders flying out of the city's northern gate. He pointed them out to his men. This is good news. It means the king is willing to listen to what we have to say, rather than to shoot first and ask questions later. Why does the king of Fremir march upon Majira? One of the riders asked upon reaching them. State your business! We have come in peace, Madorn began. We have pressing business in the northern lands, and we must speak with King Altir if he will have us. The king will have discussions with whom he chooses and under his own conditions, the rider said. He does not take kindly to unexpected visitors. You needn't tell me that, Madorn thought to himself. I have had no time to arrange an appointment with the king, Madorn said. We must seek his counsel and then be on our way, with or without his support. Will he see us? Give up your arms and you may enter Majira, the rider said. Very well, King Madorn said but know that the army of Fremir are waiting a few miles away. They will not hesitate to attack Majira if their king does not return to them tonight. The Majiran men took their swords and bid them to follow on their horses. The great iron gates opened and they were led into the city by more armed guards. As they trotted wordlessly through the busy streets, every eye was cast upon them, and Madorn could see the same look of fear on the faces of these people as he did on the faces of his own. Many whispered as he passed them, no doubt they knew who he was, but could only guess why he had come to his enemy's city. It seemed to take an age to reach the gates of the first upper level where the middle class people were housed. When they passed through these gates, it was clear that this part of the city was cleaner and more organised than the parts below. The people themselves looked fairer, wearing cleaner clothes and riding on horses of their own. When they passed through their final gates and into the uppermost part of Majira, the contrast was startling. The pathways were made of glittering stone, snaking their way through well-trimmed grasses that were greener than any that could be seen even in Fremir. Flowers of all colours blossomed everywhere, and great trees bearing fruits rose up splendidly in the dying sunlight. Men were beginning to light torches, which were set high above the ground upon posts made of steel. The houses were all large, standing tall and proud with chimneys smoking peacefully as they welcomed the evening. Madorn even spotted four fountains with statues of mysterious creatures bathing in the goodness of the seemingly endless supply of fresh water. The expense that must have gone into creating this place. The coin could have been used to feed the many who have doubtless gone hungry on the first level. The castle, too, was an extravagance. Its walls reached nearly as high as King Madorn's tallest towers, and the towers themselves must have gone into the very clouds. Everywhere, King Eltir's royal banner was on display, and guards in heavy armour bearing long pointed spears patrolled the grounds. A guard took the Fremir men's horses and led them away while more men led them into the castle. They crossed many halls filled with portraits of kings and queens past until they finally reached King Eltir's throne room. King Maron of Fremir, a guard announced as the trio walked into the grand hall. Two fires were blazing next to the giant golden throne that King Eltir was sitting upon. He sat with a grim expression on his face, eyeing Madorn unblinkingly as he drew near. He was wearing battle armour upon his body, and a large golden crown encrusted with many jewels upon his head. 
three of his own advisors were stood at either side of his throne. What's in the name of Sagorn brings the foolish king of Framir into my halls? I do not beg your pardon, Lord Eldir, Madorn said as he strode towards the Mazirin king's throne, his men right behind him. I come to you in troubled times. I know things between our cities have not been as friendly as we perhaps would both like, but we must now stand together. King Eldir looked sceptical. What do you speak of, Madorn? Out with it! King Madorn took no time to explain all that he knew to the king of Majira. He retold the tale with honesty, omitting nothing. Eltir remained sat upon his throne throughout the entire tale, and when it ended, he merely sat thinking for a while before responding. So you have come to ask me if I will send my entire army with you to... overthrow a boy? The powers he holds should not be underestimated, Madorn returned. The Jura were drawn from nature by the wizards of Gilhalla themselves. A part of their own magic lies within them. I do not doubt that the Jura are powerful, King Eltir said. But why should I risk the lives of my own men to retrieve them? Let the boy have his fun with them. They're of no concern to us. An anger rose up from within Madorn. He spoke his next words harshly. And when the rain forgets to fall to give your city the crops in which to live and trade, what then? When the boy is paying no attention and your city freezes over in winter, will it be of no concern to you then? And what if the Maz boy takes a fancy for the king of Madeira's crown? If he so decides this, he shall have it. Eltir rose from his throne in a rage. None who war with Madeira shall endure. The throne room became still. Nobody seemed to know what to say. Finally, Eltir spoke once more, his voice coming out with more control. What would you have the army of Madeira do? King Mardorn looked Eldir in the eyes. Stand with Freymir against this evil. Show the people of this world that the lives of the wizards of Gilhalla will not be taken in vain. Let us put aside our differences and take the powers of Jura from the mad boy. Better that these powers are in the hands of people with responsibility. And I suppose that you think you should be master of Jura, Madorn, Eldir said. No man should be master of all Jura, Madorn said. Dalsur Bluecloak said as much in his notes. Dalsur Bluecloak was a fool, Eldir said. The comments brought a heavy silence upon the throne room, the only sound being the loud crackle of the two great fireplaces. The wizards of Galhalla were widely respected across the lands, and Dalsur Bluecloak, who had oft travelled to the cities of Freemere and Mizira, was known personally to all of the men in the room. Card could not contain himself. How dare you speak ill of one of the five wizards of Galhalla? Dalsur was a gentle and wise soul, and his loss is the loss of all who walk these lands. Madorn, Eldir spat, can you not keep your dogs from speaking out against superiors? Enough, King Madorn raised a hand. There will be time aplenty for trivial quarrelling another day. Lord Eldir, I demand your response. My army shall leave Majira on the morn, marching for Jadir. We will have spent four days longer than we should have to get there in order to seek your aid. Will the army of Majira march with us? I presume the Freemere army leaves at first light, Eldir jeered. Of course, Madorn answered. King Eldir smiled threateningly at him. Take yourself out of my city and go back to your army. You shall have my answer upon daybreak tomorrow's morn. Escort the king away. Madorn and his men left the hall with a bitterness in their hearts. 
King Eltir was reluctant to offer aid, and it seemed to Madon that he'd even questioned the validity of the situation. Their horses were waiting for them outside the castle, and two guards led them from the upper hall of Majira all the way down to the lower and out of the northern gate. As they passed through the gate, one of the guards had stern words for the men. We shall be keeping a close eye on your men tonight, Madorn. The slightest wrong move will result in the decimation of your army. The sun had long set by the time they reached their army. The men were relieved to see them, and were keen for news. Madorn was weary, but glad to pass on details of the council to one of the eager men. The news spread quickly. Soon thereafter, he retired to his tent, where it took him a long time to drift to sleep. And when he did, his dreams were poisoned by images of battle. Many miles away, Jadir roared. You have been listening to Talgo of Foudrin, a fantasy novella set in the world of Moran by Chris Morris. Come back next week for the next chapter. 